The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week, myself or my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, come to you with information that is essential for you to be able to manage your lives from a healthcare standpoint and those of your family. We try to inform you about what's going on in the world of healthcare, how it relates to you, and what you need to do to uh, fight for your healthcare freedom and and uh, for the doctor-patient relationship. The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only phys- physician-led healthcare think tank in the country, and um, the uh, uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Uh, is, uh, fighting for you every day and our website is wwd the number four pc foundation.org. We need your help now more than ever as the, uh, battles in healthcare rage on and it's not getting any easier and I think that after I share with you some information about today's show, you'll appreciate what I'm saying. So, we need your help. We need you to go to our website and support us financially because we um, are uh, at a point right now where uh, every dollar is important for us to continue our mission. So please go to the website and donate generously so that we can be out there fighting for you doing this show and doing all the other things that we're doing, including our um, uh, Nuts and Bolts meeting, which is a direct primary care meeting. This is our fifth one. We had to put it on hiatus for a few years because of the pandemic, but we're back live, and we will be um, presenting a superb schedule of events. We have a great curriculum lined up with speakers and hands-on uh, learning from specialists teaching primary care doctors what they need to be able to know in giving uh, certain services to their patients in their offices. The meeting will be in Dallas. It'll be November 10th and 11th. The information is on our website. Um, if you are a primary care doctor, um, you should be thinking about attending this meeting. Um, if you have a direct primary care practice, this will, uh, this meeting will enhance your skills from our, um, hands-on sessions and, um, in urology, in, um, uh, plastic surgery and suturing, in urology, in ENT. So I think that you'll find this meeting to be very helpful for your practice and for your skill sets for your, um, uh, patient care. So please plan to attend. Um, I think that you will, it's still early bird registration, so it's at a discounted price. And, uh, you should, uh, tune, uh, rather you should, uh, uh, go ahead to our website again at d4pcfoundation.org 
and you'll get all the information about registration and the curriculum, which is up. So please, please, please um, uh, plan to attend and uh, sign up today. And um, this is a very important meeting because of the passing of our um, executive director, Felicia Horton. This um, meeting, this um, annual course was her baby, and uh, this one will be um, uh, dedicated to her in her honor posthumously. So please, um, it's going to be a very special meeting, and I would urge everybody uh, who has attended in the past and enjoyed this meeting, or those of you who um, want to learn more about direct primary care or enhance your practice in direct primary care, to plan to attend this meeting. Well, um, it is great to be back behind the microphone here at America's Web Radio. I was off here. Um, it's been about a month since I've been behind the microphone. Um, I had um, hip replacement surgery three weeks ago. And um, it is truly miraculous what our medical system is capable of these days. I had no no expectations about what was going to happen. Um, I was nervous, just like any other patient might be. And um, it has turned out to be something that uh, if I would have known it was going to be like this, I would have done this surgery six months earlier. And that's what they always say about hip replacement surgery. But You've got to do it right, and I think I did. I prepared. I lost weight, which is really important for most Americans who are overweight. Um, I exercised like a, a fiend beforehand, again, something that most Americans are not doing that they should be doing. And with proper preparation, with the proper surgeon, a, a good surgeon, for this kind of procedure and with good compliance to instructions afterward, following the rules, doing what they tell you to do, this operation for somebody who's in pretty good shape is a no-brainer. And I would highly, highly recommend it to people who might need it, who might be putting it off. Seek out a really good Surgeon, if you don't know how to do that, you can. Um, there are there are many many ways of finding this information out um, through um, uh, your doctor or from friends who've had this operation, or even going to um, the uh, the orthopedic um, organizations in your community. And they can point you in the direction of some of the best orthopedic surgeons. And this is something that is such a miracle that we have the ability to do something like this in America today. Because this capability does not exist elsewhere, not to the extent that it does here in the U.S. It's certainly so much different, so much better than it was 20 years ago when my mother-in-law had her hip replacement surgery and was in the hospital for four days and a rehab facility for another five days 
and never really truly walked normally. She was not in pain, but never truly walked like like uh, she did before she started having hip problems. I, on the other hand, um, I was I did this as an outpatient surgery. That's what they do. I was walking a flight of steps before they would discharge me from the facility. And I was in rehab the following day. And it is truly miraculous what we have nowadays in America to offer patients. And I worry about whether or not this is going to be available to people moving forward whether or not we're going to have the same kind of health care in 20 years that we have today. It is very troubling to me what is happening in health care. The last show that I did was in um, was trying to unravel how wokeism has crept into health care and has um, corrupted it and it has has denigrated it and it is um, something that everybody needs to be aware of and it is um, I see no end in sight right now and it's going to take a gargantuan effort it will be a a um, uh, uh, all hands on deck kind of approach to turn this back. Um, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna make this point today a little bit differently and talk to you about what we are doing in medical education and how it is it is um, corrupting healthcare and how it is dragging our system down. And this is all based on wokeism. And wokeism is the road to mediocrity. It is intended to produce mediocre outcomes in everything, whether it is in healthcare, whether it is in the climate, whether it is in economics, in politics. And the reason is because wokeism is based in socialism. And socialism is the, is antithetical to capitalism and to free markets and to everything that's made America great. So today I want to spend some time on specifics. And you, if you've not heard about this before, you might want to make sure that you share this show with your friends and family because it will have a profound impact on you and the quality of care that you're going to receive in the future. The, 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 um, the show is, is really prompted by some articles that I've read by a very well respected, um, member of, of, uh, American medicine, a a, a a physician, his name is Stanley Gofarb, and I'm going to try to get him on this show because I think he's brilliant. But he um, he was the dean of curriculum at the um, 
at the uh, University of Pennsylvania um, Perelman School of Medicine, one of the top medical schools in the country. And um, he he's a nephrologist, a kidney doctor, so he's an, he's a clinician, he's an academician, but he is also a person who is deeply troubled by wokeism and what has happened in medical education. And despite his strong efforts to, to stem the tide at the University of Pennsylvania, they were, they were thwarted by, by the woke crowd and they turned on him and they, um, they, he stepped down and they tried to call him a racist and they tried to label him as something that he's not because that's what the woke crowd is all about. It's about um, turning the tables on their opponents who shed light on them and they call their opposition exactly what they are. And unfortunately, Dr. Goldfarb needed to step down from his position and he started a nonprofit called Do No Harm, which is devoted to shedding light on what is happening in medical education today in America. And I'm going to do something that I don't usually do. Often I'll have guests or I'll do monologues, but Right now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read from his, from two articles that he wrote in the New York Post that I think are emblematic of this problem and really say it better than I can say it in my own words because this is really troubling. And the, the first article that he wrote was in July. Oh, he's written many articles, but the ones that caught my attention one was written back in July, and it was that entitled "We Must Fight Back Against Healthcare's Terrifying Conquest" by radically by the radical woke. He goes on to say that all Americans should be terrified of what's about to happen in healthcare. The same radical woke activists who've corrupted K to twelve education and public safety are about to force every medical student to learn and practice divisive, discriminatory, and downright dangerous things. What happens in medical school will ultimately corrupt all of healthcare. And as a longtime medical educator, Dr. Goldfarb, but I am as well, he was calling on policymakers to fight back because those are the only ones who can solve this problem. It's no longer possible for the medical community to fix this. They have been corrupted, infiltrated, um, and uh, it's like when you get a virus on your computer. You cannot clean it out. You need to get an expert to come in and clean it out. And that's where we are right now in medical education. Dr. Goldfarb goes on to say that the looming threat comes courtesy of the American the Association of American Medical College, Colleges, the AAMC. This organization it administers 
the MCATs, the Medical College Admission Tests, which every prospective medical student needs to take and get a great grade on to even be looked at for medical school admission. The um, AAMC represents 171 U.S. and Canadian medical schools, along with more than 400 teaching hospitals and health systems. One of its key roles is developing standards for the topics and concepts medical students must learn. So what you may ask are the latest requirements, and you guessed it, diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. Now rolled out in mid-July, these new standards are overtly ideological. And they will train medical students for political activism as much as medical care. And you don't have to take Dr. Goldfarb's word for it or my word for it, because when announcing the standards, the AAMC's president and chair of its council of deans declared that woke identity politics, quote, deserves just as much attention from learners and educators at every stage of their careers as the latest scientific breakthroughs, end quote. Just chew on that for a moment. So these standards have radical expectations for what medical students and graduates and residency graduates and faculty physician teachers must know and do. For instance, Med school grads must be fully versed in so-called, quote, intersectionality, end quote. This includes demonstrating evidence of self-reflection and how one's personal identities, biases, and lived experiences influence clinical practice, as well as identifying a patient's multiple identities and how each may result in varied and multiple forms of oppression. Oppression is a consistent theme. Graduates must describe the impact of various systems of oppression on health and health care, including colonialism, white supremacy, acculturation and assimilation, And they must also identify systems of power, privilege, and oppression, including white privilege, uh, racism, sexism, heterosexism, ableism, and religious persecution. Elsewhere, the standards declare that graduates must articulate race as a social construct that is a cause of health and health care inequities. And they must look beyond healthcare itself to identify and address social risk factors like food insecurity, housing, utilities, and transportation. Translation, medical students will be expected to advocate political causes that have nothing to do with treating patients. This is the policy. I cannot overstate the danger of this. And... Sadly, medical students and medical schools are already learning and teaching these dangerous concepts. And Dr. Goldfarb knows this firsthand as, his, as the dean of curriculum. 
And he knows that it's a struggle without this to teach medical students everything that they need to know to succeed as physicians in the care of increasingly complex and sick patients. But courses that uh, the courses that school student excuse me that schools will design under these standards will eat up valuable time that students should be spending on actual science and hands-on practice and the real world harm will be severe imagine future physicians lecturing patients about their privilege or failing to adequately manage immediate medical needs due to distractions about social issues like housing and employment and delaying or even denying care to patients of certain skin colors in the name of equity. And I have talked about that on this show already, what is happening in uh, Boston in uh, at, at Boston uh, Women and, uh, and Brigham uh, Hospitals, um, where they are creating a program where BIPOC people, brown, and black and indigenous people of color will receive preferential care to white patients. In other words, being white in this country now is, is, um, justifiable, um, in terms of selective care and, uh, and, and being, um, racist against white people. The standards that this policy will create um, creates physicians who are less prepared for clinical practice and more likely to discriminate in their daily work, ultimately leading to worse care for all patients and less public trust in this essential and life-saving field. The woke conquest of health care is nearly complete. Sit on that one for a minute. Once these principles are implemented through accreditation standards or postgraduate testing, they will be nearly impossible to roll back. And that's the point. The activist crowd has worked hard to capture the commanding heights of medical education because it determines the future of healthcare. So the only recourse that Dr. Goldfarb and I see, and I agree entirely with him, is for state leaders to prevent the standards implementation that the AMC is um, preparing to implement or prevent medical schools from teaching these underlying concepts. Boards of regents in different states should intervene and lawmakers should limit funding or outright prohibit such indoctrination and the governors in these states and the attorney generals in these states should take steps to protect the students. The medical establishment itself is driving health care's politicized decline. So somebody else is going to need to step in and do it. And so says Dr. Goldfarb in his article, um, which is spot on. And let, let me take this one step further, you know, about, about these practices and policies. Tomorrow, I'm expected to take a course that the hospital that I practice in is putting on, which is 
in implicit bias. I'm not taking it. I'm not doing it. I am drawing the line because this is ridiculous. Everybody has implicit bias. I I had a bowl of cereal today for breakfast instead of a bagel because I was biased against the carbs. I didn't want the carbs as much in the bagel, so I had a bowl of cereal. Everybody has bias, but the woke crowd and all the hospitals are signing on to that wants you to believe that bias is bad, that you should be unbiased. And that is an impossibility. People are biased about everything, whether or not you put on a blue shirt or a green shirt, whether or not you're going to drive or take your bicycle to work. Everybody has a bias. Now, there was a radio host in Atlanta who tried to sort this business out about racism. And, and I, and I have paid attention to this and, uh, and I, th- and I think that he spells it out better than most people do. There is bias. There is discrimination. And then there's racism. Now, racism is, is basically, it, it's repugnant. And anybody who believes in racism or who subscribes to anything that is truly racist, making, making the attempt to, um, put people down based entirely on their race is, is, is just repugnant. And, and that's, that's wrong. But to label everything that happens in life as racist, it, it cheapens the definition of what racism is. And it, it, um, prevents people from, from having, um, normal discourse. Because everything that happens in life is based on bias, not on racism and not on discrimination. Now, discrimination is the middle ground where you might, um, have a, uh, you might not, not, uh, allow certain people of certain color, gender, um, uh, uh, religion, to uh, to have to ha- have the same opportunity as other you might you might um, it's 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 less broad based than racism but it is far worse than bias bias on the other hand is if you have two candidates for a job and you look at their at their Credentials. You look at their resume or their curriculum vitae, and based on what you read, you decide that you're going to prefer one candidate over the other because of what you believe. Those are biases. If I have two candidates in a, for a a, a position a, 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 in my practice, and one of them was on a team, they were an athlete. 
and they know how to take take orders from a coach or they know how to be a team player. I'm going to give that person, you know, a a leg up on the other person that I'm considering regardless of what they look like or or what their religion is or what they believe because my bias is that that person is going to do a better job on my team. If a person has a a tough upbringing and has been able to bootstrap themselves up and take several jobs and and really work their way through college and medical school and residency and they've had um, a less privileged upbringing and they've been able to lift themselves up and achieve and excel and I compare that to somebody who is born with a silver spoon in their mouth who had everything handed to them, my bias is I'm giving that position to the person who bootstrapped themselves up because I think that they're going to be hungrier and they're going to be more motivated and easier for me to work with and mold into the kind of person that I want to work with than the person who was handed everything on a silver platter. That's a bias. And yes, I'm guilty of those implicit biases. I do not need some woke jerk telling me about why what I consider to be my biases are wrong. Everybody comes to the table with their biases, implicit biases. And whether or not they go on to make those biases something more insidious like discrimination or, God forbid, racism, that's that's crossing the line. But I don't want to hear anybody telling me about implicit bias, and I'm not going to change my mind about that, and I'm not going to attend a lecture or a course that is going to tell me that what I believe is wrong. So I want to share with you another Dr. Goldfarb article about how bad our medical schools are and how we are in a world of hurt when we get back after the break. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. Today we're talking about how wokeism is corrupting and destroying medical education in America, which will ultimately have downstream effects for every American. Um, before uh, we, I go on with some more Stanley Goldfarb um, articles that uh, really elucidate this point better than I possibly can. I want to remind everybody about the um, Nuts and Bolts Direct Primary Care Conference in Dallas, November 10th and 11th. It's going to be something that uh, you won't want to miss if you're a primary care doctor. And I encourage everyone um, who uh, knows a doctor who is in direct primary care to uh, to let them know about this conference. Sign up and uh, and please uh, you know uh, do so early for early bird savings. Um, D4PC.org. That's where you'll learn about this conference, and uh, you won't want to miss it. So last hour, or last half hour, we talked a little bit about how the um, woke is um, preparing to change the curriculum in medical schools. Well, the woke crowd has has hurt education way, way before they get to medical school. We know this from what they're teaching in K-12 education now and uh, and in colleges around the country where there's no discourse anymore. There's only one way of looking at things, and uh, that is the woke way. Well, Dr. Goldfarb wrote another chilling article um, just a few weeks ago that appeared in the New York Post that I'm going to um, take excerpts of and maybe even read. Um, and the title of the article is Top Medical Schools Are Putting Wokeism Ahead of Giving America Good Doctors. And this, this again, is chilling in in its um, scope, it is it is um, just almost unimaginable about what is happening in medical schools, medical education, medical admissions in the United States. So let me start by um, uh, reading how he um, started his article. So elite medical schools are deliberately recruiting woke activists, jeopardizing their mission of training physicians. That's why our organization, Dr. Goldfarb's organization, which is Do No Harm, found in a review of the application process for America's top 50 medical schools um, what was going on. Nearly three-quarters of these institutions and eight out of the top 10 medical schools ask applicants about their views on diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism, and other politicized concepts. And the clear goal here is to find students who will best advance divisive ideology and not to provide the best care for patients. Um, Many schools will ask applicants if they agree with certain statements about racial 
politics. This is on the application process. And others will gauge applicants' views on or experience with woke concepts. Harvard takes this latter approach, and it asks applicants to share their significant challenges in access to education, unusual socioeconomic factors, identification with a minority culture, religion, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender identity. It then encourages applicants to explain how such factors have influenced your motivation for a career in medicine. Translation, tell us how you want to solve social and political problems. This is Harvard Medical School application. Other medical schools are more direct than Harvard. At Duke, and Harvard is number one, Duke is is tied for number six. It asks applicants to describe their understanding of race and its relationship to inequities in health care and health. And before doing so, they're told about Duke's collective stand against systemic racism and injustice just to prime the pump. And Duke further states that it expects students, expects students to go beyond passive moments of reflection and become more active as we build to make lasting change. The University of Pittsburgh is even more blunt. It tells applicants, we are interested in combating all forms of systemic barriers and would like to hear your thoughts on opposing, specifically, systemic racism, anti-LGBTQ plus discrimination, and misogyny. And then it doubles down to ask, how will you contribute? These are applications to medical school. Get that through your head. This is the stuff they're asking people when they apply to medical school. The University of Texas, Southwestern, wants applicants to demonstrate, quote, how you have committed yourself to understanding and aiding in the pursuit of equity and inclusion in your academic, professional, and personal life. University of Miami asks applicants, what have you done to help identify, address, and correct an issue of systemic discrimination? This is asking kids, but you know what? They've been taught about this since kindergarten. So they're, they're being primed for this in medical school. And by the time they get to medical school, they've got the bona fides to answer these questions. The task for the medical schools are to weed out those who don't Comply who don't agree with this way of thinking. Across medical schools around the country, it is now a default assumption that applicants understand and accept the tenets of woke ideology. That's why UCLA Medical School can ask applicants to describe how inequity has impacted you or your community 
and how educational disparity, health disparity, and or marginalization has impacted you and your community. The University of Minnesota states with confidence that our country is is reckoning with its history of racism, of racial injustice, and especially, especially anti-black racism. Applicants must share your reflections on experiences with and greatest lessons learned about systemic racism. And it assumes that such racism is an inarguable fact of life. Um, the SUNY down st- medical schools around the country, it, it appears that the majority of American medical schools are now actively screening for ideologically aligned students. And it's not just students, as Dr. Goldfarb can attest to, having been um, slandered and and uh, and and persecuted by the woke left. Many schools are moving to require that professors be woke. For instance, at Indiana University School of Medicine, they recently approved new standards for faculty promotion and tenure, and they require showing an effort toward advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, medical schools are rushing down a very dangerous road. Um, They have long lowered the application and educational standards in the name of diversity, as I went through with you in the last show. So, um, if you haven't heard about that by me or by others, I urge you to go to that show to understand how those standards have been lowered. But now medical schools are going one step further. They are enacting an ideologic litmus test for future physicians. Um, recruiting woke activists instead of the most qualified candidates will ultimately undermine trust in healthcare and lead to worse healthcare outcomes for patients. And that's what needs to be fought against by governors who need to withhold funding for medical schools and stop this kind of teaching at the medical school level because it is going to ultimately drag healthcare down to levels that are so bad and have nothing to do with proper medical care that we will not be able to walk this back and it will destroy what is, in my opinion and those of others, the finest health care system in the country. Now, on that theme of dragging health care down by focusing on things that are not related to the proper and timely care of patients is what is happening around the country in medical schools, making sure that they introduce climate change 
into their curricula. This has been something that has been a, um, a, a cause celeb of the left, of the woke, for quite a few years. And it is gaining steam. There have been some articles that have been published in, in journals, m- many of which are now being circulated by the Department of HHS, which, as everybody here knows, is woke under the Biden administration. But they want people to see these articles and read these articles and embrace what is a prevailing thought, prevailing uh, concept among the woke crowd in healthcare that we are not doing enough to um, incorporate climate change into medical curricula. Um, the rationale for doing so, these proponents claim, is because the um, the impact on climate change on healthcare is so great that we can't ignore this, and we must teach this at the medical school level. What these activists claim is that because of the loss of biodiversity, the spread of toxins and pollutants, planetary warning due to greenhouse gas emissions, all have a profound effect on human health. And because of extreme temperatures, severe weather, heavy precipitation, they are leading to premature mortality and injury, and especially in vulnerable populations, which include young children, the elderly, people of lower incomes, and those dealing with the burdens of chronic disease, health inequity, and culture and economic barriers, such as lack of access to air conditioning. And additionally, climate change has many indirect burdensome effects on food and water insecurity, air quality, and infectious disease distribution. So all of these factors, these people claim, need to be looked at and taught at the medical school level. And there are activists who are trying to incorporate this into medical school education. Once again, creating activists and not doctors. But these for these people, climate change is such a religion that everything involves climate change, including health care. Now, I will say that there are Factors that affect people's health that do have to do with the environment. There's no question about that. But what the left is trying to claim is that every event that happens on our planet can be tied to climate change. You know, it's the, it's because it is a religion, right? People who are religious people look at the trees and they look at the animals and they look at, you know, the events that affect their life. And it's all because of God and 
his role in human behavior, how he has shaped human behavior. Well, these climate activists have their religion. It's the climate and everything that has ha- happens in human existence can go back to the gods of climate. And if we don't address this, then we are doomed because if we don't get rid of petroleum products, we're going to see food inequity. We're going to see um, the the um, temperatures go up. They claim that um, 17 of the warmest years on record occurred in the last 18 years. It's because of man-made climate change. People who have this religion are incapable of seeing that planets do change and that the, the role of man in the in climate is is questionable nobody nobody has any proof of this but if you get people who are zealots people who are um just uh they are uh so so um committed to their beliefs, um, you cannot have any kind of debate with them because the debate is closed. They are certain that their position is right, just as they are about every single other woke position that we've discussed on this show. So, of course, you must incorporate climate change into healthcare curricula, and that's exactly what they're trying to do. Um, there's a, a person who uh, started this organization, which is called the Planetary Health Report Card, and her name is Kathy Hampshire, and she was a uh, a resident, um, a fourth year medical student in 2018 in California when the fires in Northern California were, um, were ravaging the uh, Pacific Northwest. And she was just so moved by this, this um, horrible environmental effect and what the he- effect on healthcare was that she felt that cl- uh, climate change was a necessary core topic for all physicians practicing in the 21st century. So she and her colleagues created the Planetary Health Report Card, which is a tool that compiles data on medical schools and their climate-related offerings. And their goal is to get climate change curricula imposed into every medical school around the country. Right now, this is only occurring in about 15% of medical schools, but this is in its infancy, and as we know with all of these woke policies, this is um, only going to gain speed um, when you have people who are being indoctrinated in in uh, elementary school about climate change and the role 
that we play, even your diet, your diet, if if it is an animal-based diet, your carbon footprint, they're telling you, is is too high and you need to think about giving that up and um, and going to a plant-based uh, diet. What's laughable about all of this is the people who have put these thoughts into young people's heads and who have um, indoctrinated them to believe this are individuals who do not practice what they preach, who are the biggest offenders of um, polluting our society, people like Al Gore or people like Leonardo DiCaprio who fly around the world in their jets and have um, more to do with pollution than some poor schnook who's eating a hamburger. But as with every socialist movement, the people at the top get to play by a different set of rules than all of the masses below them who are indoctrinated to believe what these these um, charlatans, what these snake oil salesmen at the top sell them. So um, the uh, people who are trying to put climate change into healthcare curriculum are succeeding, and um, they want the um, the funding to come from the government so that they can continue their mission and. In a leftist government, they're more than happy to um, to enable this to happen because it continues to perpetuate their power base and um, and allow them to stay in power as long as as possible. So, I um, another downer show that talked about. What is um, dragging American healthcare down? And what you need to do is read about this, and um, and let people at your state level know that this is happening in in plain sight, right under their noses. And uh, if they don't wake up and prevent schools from allowing this to happen, preventing residency programs in their states from allowing this to happen that healthcare as we know it today will cease to exist in 20 years maybe sooner so this is a clarion call to try to put an end to what is dragging us down at at a um, just unbelievably um, uh, rapid pace before I wrap up the show, I just wanted to share a news, um, a bit of news that I saw yesterday, which I thought was very, very entertaining. You know, for the last two years that Dr. Scott and, and I have taken a beating for saying the things that we have said during the pandemic about policies, about people who implemented those policies, specifically Anthony Fauci, who 
is one of the biggest frauds that has ever come to um, to power in healthcare in this country. Well, he has he was uh, interviewed um, yesterday or the day before, and he admitted in the interview publicly that his policies were draconian that they probably were over they overstepped they were over the line and that they hurt people specifically children and you know how committed i am to children um as a pediatric specialist that is something that i am absolutely committed to and we right now have a lost generation of children thanks to the policies of Anthony Fauci and what he has told people and allowed people to implement, especially people like Randy Weingart, the president of the uh, teachers union, um, who has allowed children to remain uneducated for two plus years and fool people into believing that they're getting an education and the people who have money, the people who have means, their children are getting educated. But this is hurting directly the very vulnerable people, the ones that this woke crowd is is purporting to represent. And and it was um, uh, about time that he came clean. Now that he's stepping down... He uh, can he can uh, go ahead and do mea culpas because what is going to come in a Republican-led House of Representatives is going to be a beatdown. They're going to call him back in and have him answer for all of the um, uh, abnor- uh, horrible, abhorrent policies that have hurt um, America's children. And he's now admitting it, and and everything that we said was absolutely true. And of course, there won't be any apologies to me or to Scott or to any of the other doctors who have said this and have been just harping on this for the last several years. They'll just forget about it as if it didn't happen. But we're right, as as Andrew Wilkow, one of the talk show hosts says on his show that I love, we're right, they're wrong, the points on this show cannot be refuted because it is based in common sense. Thanks for being with us today, and I look forward to being back with you in two weeks. Don't forget about the Docs for Patient Care Direct Primary Care Conference, and join Dr. Scott next week. Thank you. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.